How's it going, everybody? We're back at it again with another episode of the MMA First Take Podcast. We'll be going over the results from UFC 220 and then also Bellator 192. Um, going over the main results that I was able to catch as far as last night. Um, wasn't able to get any predictions for either of these cards, unfortunately. But um, I'll tell you what my thinking was going into the fight and seeing how those fights actually played out last night. So, um, only just gonna we're gonna touch on the main fights that had all the attention from last night, and then we'll move on and to see what's next for these guys, uh, the winners and the losers, and uh, how the performances went. So, let's start off with UFC 220, which was main the main focus of last night, especially in regards to the Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou fight. And let's start off with that fight in particular. So Miocic ends up winning a unanimous decision against Francis Ngannou. I believe most of the scorecards are 50-45. There may have been a 50-44 in there somewhere, and uh, I would definitely agree with that. Stipe Miocic definitely dominated this fight the whole time through, and Ngannou just didn't have the requisite grappling abilities or conditioning ability in order to stay competitive with Miocic in this fight. That was a real issue for Ngannou. So the the way that this fight started out is that Francis was ultra-aggressive against uh, against Miocic, and I thought that was a little bit of a concern early, especially when you saw him whiffing on a lot of shots. He definitely was hitting and touching Miocic to some extent in that first round, but you saw that Miocic was able to counter with some of his own strikes himself, and uh, in doing so, was able to keep Francis at bay long enough. He also went with a uh, leg kick to the thigh, I believe, a couple times, and that was very important in him keeping the distance as well. So that was definitely uh, a path, a good path to victory for Stipe Miocic as well, especially in that first round. And then, <clears throat> and then from there on out, it just became Miocic really grinding Ngannou out the entire fight, getting him against the cage, making sure that he was in bad positions the whole time. He really wore on him, especially when they would be on their knees against the cage. He would keep that forearm above his head just to keep the pressure down, um, just really hanging off of Ngannou, making him wear Miocic for much of the fight. So in that first round, he saw it was 150, a minute 56 of control, on the ground, especially in the grappling. And then Miocic actually outstruck Ngannou 24 strikes to 18, with uh, the significant strikes being one more for Stipe Miocic, 16 to 15. And that shows you the real difference in that uh, first round. And then also, in the second round, which you'll start to see here, play out is that the control for Stipe actually starts to go up in the rounds a little bit. So 217 uh, was the amount of control that Stipe had in the second round. 348 in the third round, 438 in the fourth round, and then in the fifth round it decreased back down to 221 when it appeared that both Stipe and Francis were pretty tired at this point. But all things being said about that, Really what happened here was that Stipe just had a phenomenal game plan. He knew that he was going to have to weather the storm a little bit, which he did in that first round. 
it was pretty apparent that when he was able to get Ngannou to the ground that Francis was just not super skilled in in terms of being able to get off the cage or get back to his feet super quickly. I think with his strength and his power and just the sheer physical power, the tools that he has, he can definitely do things to negate the takedown or to get up from takedown um, takedowns that are landed against him. But he doesn't really use all the technique that he needs to. He doesn't always look for the underhooks. He's not always looking to, um, you know, get in the best position to get up. He's always use, looking to use um, a massive amount of energy and power to do it. And if he can do that quickly and, and if he has the conditioning to do so, that may be something that he can survive with. But it just was obvious that he wasn't able to do that. And again, he really wore himself out at the beginning of that, in that first round. He was really swinging hard with those punches, expecting to knock out Miocic, and it just wasn't happening again. With his striking, he has massive amounts of power, but he was just way too wild in this. He was chasing Miocic at times. It looked like he felt that he had to knock him out in the first round or else it wasn't going to happen. And he even mentioned that he kind of underestimated Miocic. He thought he would touch him, make him go to sleep. And it does sound like for Francis that he understands that he's definitely going to have to work on his cardio. I just hope he understands also that it's not just the cardio alone for him that he needs to work on. It's the fact that he needs to really um, expand on his skills and the techniques of actually getting up from the ground, not just powering out of it and relying on your cardio and power alone. But he needs to really get the skills and techniques down in order to make it easier for his body and quicker for him and really be more mechanical and being able to do that. And that way he's not having to carry the body weight of another heavyweight like that for, you know, two, three, four minutes at a time. That was what was extremely wearing for him, but he definitely will need to work on his conditioning. And he also notated that the pacing of his first two rounds was really bad. He thought that he would be able to go out there and knock Miocic out, that he really paced himself very poorly and that if he had to do things differently, he would go much slower. And I thought that that's what he should have done. I thought him being the aggressor didn't make a whole lot of sense when I was watching the fight play out. It seemed pretty apparent to me that Miocic wasn't really going to be super hyper-aggressive on the feet either. And so a couple times when Miocic was able to get the takedowns on Ngannou, it was due to the fact that Ngannou was just really over-committing on his strikes, and it was just an easy, simple takedown. Um, on the other hand, I just think he wasted so much energy because Stipe would have been okay with it being a much slower fight. And Nganu, I think, does have some real possibility to really sneak some of those strikes in whenever his opponent is uh, overcommitting a little bit too much themselves to some strikes. Miocic is not one of these guys that will just not strike altogether. He can be patient, but in those times in which he is striking, there is opportunity for a guy like Nganu to counter the way that he did against Overeem. Overeem didn't strike all that much, but it didn't take a whole lot of opening for Nganu to see, okay, he's throwing, I can, I see my counter, let me hit it. Once he did that, he knocked Overeem out. I think if he had played this fight out much more in a much more similar fashion, he could have had a much different result. Um, his power and his speed could have carried much better at least into rounds two and three. I don't know if they would have carried over in rounds four and five, 
but um, he just had the wrong game plan tonight. He's got some skills that he needs to learn and improve on. And then, of course, the conditioning, like I said, again, uh, the power is there in the fourth rounds, fifth rounds. It looked like even uh, as exhausted as Nganu was, Nganu actually hurt Miocic with the punch in the fourth round, even as slow as he was, too. That's what type of power he has. So if he can work on those areas of his game, he can become an extremely, extremely dangerous fighter. And I believe he'll reach the potential that we've all been expecting him to reach within his uh, heavyweight fighting. So um, there's definitely a lot of lessons to have been learned here for Francis, but I wouldn't call this the end. I do think that he deserves all the hype that he did get. It's a little bit too much too soon. Um, I'd like to see for Nganu for him to take a step back a little bit. If Derek Lewis wins against Marcin Tibera, I think this is a perfect opportunity for Lewis versus Nganu to have a fight. They have a little bit of a rivalry that has brewed. They've talked back and forth a little bit. I think that would be a great opportunity for Derek Lewis if he wins uh, his next fight. And for Nganu, a good opportunity for him to really work on his endurance, really work on some of the things that he needs to work on while facing a guy who's not necessarily going to take him down. He's going to play the type of game that he likes to play. So it gives him a lot of opportunity to grow, not not only with the time off that he has between fight camps, but also within the fight camp itself. He's not going to have to worry too much about, um, you know, getting dramatically better in that one area for that particular fight. He'll just be able to focus on getting better for the future in which he may need to use that against a Cain Velasquez, a Fabrizio Verdum, or Stipe Miocic. On the other hand, Stipe, great, great uh, fight for him, great result for him. I will say one thing. I mean, I've never seen Stipe so exhausted before. I think that it, this fight really did take a lot out of him energy-wise himself. Uh, I know that he's been tired in other fights, but I don't recall him just by memory being so tired and such a back-and-forth fight against Junior Dos Santos um, in their first fight. And that was a real war for them, too. Um, so it really took a lot out of him in order to compete with Stipe Miocic or Francis Ngannou, even though he dominated this fight. I just think that speaks to how strong Ngannou is, that um, it took that much energy and will out of Stipe. So give a little bit of credit to Ngannou for just – being so physically gifted for his for his power and his strength, it really took a lot out of Miocic. I thought Miocic would be able to win this fight via stoppage after you know the middle of the third round. I thought it's only a matter of time, but he just didn't have the same energy that he normally did. I wonder if the lengthy layoff uh, played a role in that because, again, it seems to me that Stipe's cardio is typically better than that. But again, he did get hit hard a couple times, and, and he was holding a guy down that was almost about 20 pounds heavier than him and, you know, pure strength and muscle and power. So that could have worn on him as well. But he really did a good job of staying just out of the way of Francis's punches. Many of the times that Francis did throw, he did miss on those punches. And then Miocic just, again, doing an excellent job of wearing on him against the cage not really doing a whole lot of damage against the cage sometimes. Sometimes it was more just, let me just wear this guy out. Let me just drain his cardio and drain his will. But that's really all he needed to do. 
And then in the times in which they were striking, he did enough to get off his own strikes, outstrike him a little bit. And then if he did get hit with one punch that kind of worried him, he would get right to the clinch, right into the grappling exchanges. And there was really no issue for Stipe. So Miocic looked really good in this fight. Surprised a little bit that he wasn't able to finish it. But again, it seems like his cardio just didn't hold up as well as it has in some previous fights. But it looks like there's some reasons for that. But nonetheless, let's just talk about Stipe's legacy and what's next for him. He is the greatest heavyweight of all time, in my opinion. I think Velasquez and him, if they fight against each other, that is the only person that can challenge Stipe Miocic for the greatest heavyweight of all time. I'm not a big proponent of Fedor Emelianenko. I think he fought in a time where, you know, these guys just weren't to the same level as a Stipe, a Cain Velasquez. I think, I think all the opponents that Fedor beat in their in his prime, Stipe and Cain uh, also beat them. And I just don't think that a, a prime Fedor would beat a prime Cain, a prime Stipe. I think it would be a fantastic fight, but that's just not the way I see it. So. Let's go over Stipe's um, record in the UFC when he starts after his loss to Stefan Struve by a round two KO, TKO. That's incredible, by the way. The fact that he lost in 2012 by KO um, to Stefan Struve is incredible, but that shows how much better he's gotten. He since had won a unanimous decision against Roy Nelson, unanimous decision against Gabriel Gonzaga, then a round one TKO versus Fabio Maldonado. He lost a controversial five-round fight to Junior Dos Santos, in which I actually think he probably won that fight, but ended up losing on the scorecards. He ended up winning by uh, TKO in the fifth round against Mark Hunt. Round one KO over Andre Arlovsky. Defeated Fabricio Verdum, Alistair Overeem, and Junior Dos Santos by KO in the first round. And then a five-round a five uh, round unanimous decision against Francis Ngannou. That is quite a resume right there. I believe due to the fact that he's the first ever UFC heavyweight champion to defend his title three times. Um, really ha- provides a lot of merit to his legacy and to the fact that he would be the greatest UFC heavyweight champion of all time and the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. It shows you how difficult that division is to stay on top. It's not like the welterweights or um, the lightweights or even the middleweights where everyone just has monster power. In the heavyweight division, everyone has monster power. Everyone has the ability. Even the jiu-jitsu practitioners have the ability to turn their lights off with just one punch. So that's the real difference, especially in mixed martial arts with the small gloves that they have on. So I just think that that's ultra impressive. I think going forward, for me, a lot of people have been talking about perhaps they do the Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic fight, which I wouldn't be too mad about. And we'll talk about Daniel going forward. I I feel like I would rather see some other plans materialize for Cormier. And for that purpose, I just really want to see Stipe versus Cain Velasquez. At this point in time, I do believe that Stipe is the best heavyweight of all time. Based on his um, records, the fighting style that he has, I think that he can compete with any of the guys that have ever been and competed at heavyweight in uh, heavyweight history. But I think that a prime Cain Velasquez, I still find it, I still find it hard to believe that he would get dominated by 
uh, Stipe Miocic. I think that's a super competitive fight. I think that if we really truly want to determine who the best heavyweight of all time is with a clear-cut answer with no what-ifs, because some people still have that what-if question about Ken Velasquez and how talented he was and what about his injuries, things of that nature, that is the fight to make. I don't want to see Miocic fight anyone else. I want to see a healthy Cain Velasquez versus a healthy Stipe Miocic to once and for all, in my opinion, determine who is the greatest heavyweight of all time. If Velasquez gets gets past Miocic, I believe it would be Velasquez. But if uh, Miocic is able to get past Velasquez, I think that he then becomes far and away the greatest heavyweight of all time. There's no Fedor in the discussion. There's And then at that point, there would be no Kane in the discussion. So in my opinion, that's what I would like to see next for Steve Miocic. Let's go on to the next fight, which is Daniel Cormier defeating Volkan Ozdemir in round two via TKO punches uh, from the crucifix position. That was a very impressive um, performance by Daniel Cormier. Um, that was a very impressive performance by Daniel Cormier. He did a really good job of really weathering the storm against Ozdemir the same way that Miocic did against Ngannou. Ozdemir proved to be a very tough out in that first round. I mean, he came out firing. He was not concerned with Cormier taking him down. The real He had a huge size advantage. I mean, they looked very different in terms of how... Um, in terms of how in terms of in terms of how different they looked as far as their height went and early on it proved to be a real issue for Cormier he was trying to go in for some grappling exchanges uh, Volcan would get that forearm up and really just uh, push against his neck and head to really not let Cormier get all the way in on him get the underhooks get him against the cage and take him down so that was kind of an issue for Cormier at the beginning meanwhile he was so focused on getting the fight to the ground that it seemed like he was just leaving too many openings for Ozdemir to to get the uh, to get some good strikes off he out struck Cormier in that first round 41 to 29 but if you take a look at towards the end of the first round I go you know he's got to really start landing some strikes and Cormier did start to exchange with him he caught Ozdemir with some of his strikes himself and then he finally gets him taken down at the end of the first round and actually gets a really nice, quick rear naked choke on him very quickly and almost finished the fight right then and there. That fight could have gone, that round could have gone either way. But as soon as that happened, Cormier felt much more comfortable. It looked like he came out ready to strike a lot more comfortably in the, in the second round. He took a couple of Ozdemir's shots and felt okay about it. I believe in round two, Cormier actually hurt Ozdemir with the shot, and then they ended up getting to, down to the ground, um, and then Cormier just got into the correct position. He got into that um, crucifix position. If you look at the statistics, he landed 55 strikes uh, to one total strike for Ozdemir, but he only landed five significant strikes. The issue with this is that once you get into that crucifix position, um, it's over. I mean, if you can't defend yourself, even if you're taking the lightest punches in the world, the rest going to stop it because you truly, that's when you truly cannot 
defend for yourself in an intelligent way and that's one of the that's the main criteria for stopping a fight it seems like so in saying that he wasn't taking the toughest strikes he wasn't taking the most powerful strikes that Cormier could even land but he just took too way too many it was just so apparent that there was way too much time it just wasn't going to end and at some point he could end up getting knocked out and just the threat of that alone with the fact of it being that more than likely it was going to end up getting finished you end up stopping the fight right then and there that is why it is so critical to get out of that position to know how to get out of that position and Uzumir just did not have a way of getting that done against Cormier. Cormier's top pressure was very strong. He um, controlled it very well, but Uzumir, I just don't know if he knew the exact right steps in order to actually get that going, um, to, to get back into a better position where he wasn't uh, being held and just being punched until the, until the ref said, you know what, that's enough. It's obvious you're not getting out of this position. So for Volkan Uzumir, uh, I don't know who he faces next. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of guys here in this light heavyweight division that I would like to see him fight. Uh, I know he hasn't fought a guy like Glover Teixeira. That may be a pretty good fight considering Teixeira has some of that grappling, uh, some of those grappling abilities that he likes to use as well. But <clears throat> you look at the whole roster, I mean, there's just not a whole lot going on. He already defeated Misha Serkinov, and Serkinov's coming off of a loss in that respect as well. So I think for Ozdemir, the next fight to see him in is probably going to be that Clover Teixeira versus Volcan fight. Um, I'm just going to take a quick look at the rankings. You know, Jamie Manuel, he's already defeated Obey St. Crew. I, I suppose you could do like the Mauricio Shogun Hua fight with him. Um, you know, there's Corey Anderson and Larry Latifi, but he seems way past those guys. I just don't see any other matchup out there that would make a whole lot of sense for him. Some people may say Gustafson, but I, I don't feel like they should be fighting because I, I believe Gustafson is a true number one contender. I think that there's desperate, um, it's, they're very desperate to have a number one, number one contender. And I believe Gustafson and we'll transition into Cormier right now, is going to be the next fighter to um, take on Daniel Cormier. I think that's the fight that needs to happen. Apparently, Dana White said that he would, wouldn't mind seeing Cormier versus uh, Miocic for the heavyweight title, but again, it just doesn't make sense to me. The more intriguing matchup for me is Miocic versus Velasquez, and then Cormier versus Alexander Gustafson. Cormier has spoken on a couple of different occasions that the toughest fight that he's ever had was against um, you know, Alexander Gustafson, he won that fight by split decision, but it was a close, close fight. It was a gritty fight. You know, some of, some of Gustafson's best performances have been in losses, losses to John Jones, losses to Daniel Cormier in title fights in which he just, it was an all out war. It was an all out battle. And there were, there wasn't a whole lot left out of the, any of those guys at the end of those fights. I believe that this is a time that you get Gustafson versus DC. I would like to see if Cormier can get past uh, Alexander Gustafson and Miocic is still remaining champion at heavyweight division, then maybe he does that fight as his retirement fight. But um, I, I think they've got to do Gustafson versus uh, 
Cormier. I actually believe that Gustafson would win this fight. And it's really going to depend on how he's recovering from his surgery. Apparently, he's had uh, surgery. Um, I don't know exactly what body part it was. I thought it was a, a shoulder injury or something like that. But nonetheless, he should be back in time for Cormier to um, for him to be ready for Cormier's next fight. It seems to me that Cormier is not in any rush to get a new fight. Um, I think this is the fight that you have to make. It was an incredible fight. I think that these are the two biggest names in the light heavyweight division. And I just don't really find it necessary, all that necessary, to make Cormier versus uh, Miocic for the heavyweight title in, in what would be a perceived super fight. I think you've got some really good fights within those divisions right now where you can keep them separate. And if they do get past their next opponents, if Cormier does get past Gustafson, if Velasquez or if Miocic gets, does get past Velasquez, it gets to a point where the division's kind of cleaned out. If you don't include John Jones as an active fighter in the light heavyweight division, and at that point it makes perfect sense, especially in a world where it would be possible that Cormier that that could be his last fight, so that would be his last true challenge. So. That's something that would be interesting for me to see. Um, I think that that's what they should do going forward. Okay, so let's move to the Bellator side of things into Bellator 192. We'll talk about the top two fights on the on the billing. Um, wasn't able to watch the Aaron Pico fight or the Michael Chandler. They both won. Um, I believe Chandler won by decisions, uh, by split, the, by a unanimous decision um, over Yamauchi, but um, Aaron Pico won with a nasty, uh, like a liver punch, it looked like. So, quick thing on both of those two guys. Chandler, I think he should just fight for the lightweight championship again. I think that I've heard them explore the, the opportunity to maybe going up to welterweight, possibly fighting Rory McDonald. But I think he he should become the reigning champion in his division before they start to do stuff like that. I think it's a good idea. So I would definitely like to see him get that one back against um, Brent Primus, where he like it looked like he broke his leg and he couldn't walk on it. It was really a bad injury, and he just wasn't able to fight with that through that injury, unfortunately. But Let's go, let's get into, and then Aaron Pico, he just needs to keep on fighting these guys that are at this level. He looks super impressive, but he shouldn't be fighting a guy that is of, um, you know, top 20 talent for like another two years. He should just continue to build and build and build and work and slowly get uh, everything put together. And that way, when he does get into that top 20 range of guys, um, they just they just uh, give give him a rocket. He goes off and you know he starts doing work uh, against those ranked opponents. But for now, these are the type of guys that he needs to face. Um, so let's talk about Chelsea versus Quentin Rampage Jackson real quick. This fight is kind of how I expected it to go. Rampage Jackson is not into MMA anymore. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, I don't care what he says in interviews. I haven't listen to a whole bunch of interviews he does not like mixed martial arts he does not like competing anymore um i feel very confident in saying that his body has really he really has let his body go i think he came in at like 253 253 i mean i remember rampage was a lean 
205, you know, he weighed in, he looked great. Um, his body is just out of control at this point. He's had bad cardio for a number of fights recently. He hasn't had all that bad a win-loss record. As of recently, he has lost two in a row to Chael Sonnen and King Molawal. But before that, he lost, he he defeated Satoshi Ishii, Fabio Maldonado, uh, King Mo, Christian Mpumbu, and Joey Beltran. So I would say it's kind of surprising in my eyes that he hasn't lost as many times. But then again, I just went off his record. Other than that King Mo win, none of those are really that impressive. So, but nonetheless, I mean, he's just, he's out of shape at this point. He, I, I just believe he doesn't really care that much. He's just collecting paychecks. And Chel Sonnen came in on a lean 222, his natural weight. And I just figured if he was able to, to, um, you know, not let Rampage land a huge strike on him, that he would be fine. Also, Rampage hasn't really knocked anyone out as of recently. He's not, I just don't believe he has it in him anymore. I, I don't believe that that power has really carried over later into his career. And I believe part of that is because of his conditioning. I believe some of what was fierce about his power was how quick and fast he was with his hands at some points. And um, you just look at it, you know, he hasn't knocked out anyone in the past five fights. So that's a real issue for him. Um, and then Chell was just able to wrestle him the whole time. And once he got control of him for even like, you know, two minutes, I knew that that was just going to wear Rampage out. It just really... He took he dominated first two rounds. I believe Rampage won the third round, and but at that point it just didn't matter. He needed to finish him, and I just knew that Quentin at that point in the fight, if he's going to knock anyone out these days, it's going to be early in the first round. It's not going to be in the second. It's not going to be in the third. It's just not going to happen. So because of that, Trail Sana moves on into the next um, next stage of the bracket. He'll fight the winner of Frank Mir versus Fedor Emelianenko. I think that the size can definitely be an issue for Chell going forward, especially if he fights a, fights a Frank Mir. I think that's going to be a real issue against Fedor. I could see him actually having a little bit more success against Fedor, but that's a tough fight too because I think Fedor has actually still got some good uh, quick strikes in his hands, and Chell, I don't believe, is going to actually knock any of these guys out. So I do believe that it's going to be tough for him to continue to win in this a tournament, but that's because he's fighting against heavyweights, and I just believe he's too small for that, uh, and he will be going forward. As far as him winning against Rampage, I thought it was a great matchup for him, uh, a guy that tires out easily once you do get him to the ground, and that's exactly what happened. Overweight Rampage, uh, someone that's a true 205-er and has let his body go to a true 255 uh, pounder. So that is not good news for Quentin. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in the sport, but I would say if you're a fan of Quentin Rampage Jackson, just enjoy his interviews for a little bit longer because it won't be too long before he's um, shown the door. Okay. So as far as Chell, like I said, I think that it's going to be difficult for him going forward, but if he's able to, to really instill that wrestling against uh, Fedor, if Fedor should get past Frank Beer then you could see him end up in the championships. I don't see him uh, winning the actual championships. I think like a Matt Mitrione or Roy Nelson, some of these other guys on the other side of the bracket would be just too difficult. Maybe if King Mo Lawal, um, you know, won on the other side, I could see him defeating King Mo Lawal. 
but Ryan Bader, uh, Roy Nelson, Matt Mitriona, I think he would be underdogs against all of those people. Okay, so let's get to what, in my opinion, was going to be the most intriguing title fight of the night um, from a matchup standpoint, which was Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima. This was a very interesting fight. Early on, it looked that Roy was just coming out as the best, best welterweight in the world, as I've claimed him to be for a while now. I do believe that he is the true best 170-pounder in the world. Um, I think he can beat anyone. I think he could beat even George St. Pierre at this point. I think he could beat Tyron Woodley. Anyone that is competing at 170, I would give Rory a definite shot at defeating them. Um, so Rory was really coming out very not a, not very aggressive, but he really controlled the octagon. Douglas Lima did a really bad job of really uh, getting his his back to the cage just for the majority of that first round. It wasn't until Lima started to land some kicks at a calf where it just, all of a sudden, Rory's leg just blew up, and he he had to switch stances. I believe Rory won the first two rounds, and part of that was him being able to outstrike Lima a little bit, but then also when he was able to get it to the ground, he couldn't really do a whole lot in the first two rounds, but he was just controlling the position. He just controlled the whole fight. Uh, in those aspects, and Lima wasn't able to do anything off of his back to really threaten Rory. He was able to do enough to just worm around to not make it comfortable for Rory, but um, never was able to successfully defend himself. And because of that, I thought he lost the first two rounds. It wasn't until the third round where I thought Rory was still uh, in control of the fight, but then Lima hit him with a, a nasty leg kick, and Rory went down. You could see him kind of yell out, and it was very obvious that he was hurt. I think in the fourth round, so I gave that round to Lima because he did some damage there. It was either in that third or fourth in which Lima actually had mount on Rory, and I thought, this is huge trouble. It may have been in that third round. He he was in, in bad trouble. I was thinking, man, Rory always gets close. He always starts doing these performances really well against like these Robbie Lawler types. Um, against a guy like this, and now he's going to come up short once again. But he fought through it. He survived in the fourth round. I believe he won that round as well. And um, in the fifth round, even if you had a 2-2 going into the fifth, I thought that Rory did a really fantastic job of just going out there, getting the takedown. He really avoided getting kicked to that leg again after he really um, got knocked down by Lima. And again, Lima just... Man, I don't know what to make of Lima. He's a great fighter, but it just, he lacked some intensity in there. He lacked some um, viciousness and some animalistic instincts to say, oh, his leg is hurt. I'm just going to go and just rip that leg off. You know, when you see a guy that gets hurt like that and you still have a couple more rounds, you have to have a certain intensity and instinct to say, I'm going to finish the fight right now. No doubt about it. It's not I'm not letting this go any longer where Rory credit to him he really fought through that successfully he really got the good takedowns and in the fifth round I thought he was extremely smart I believe in the fifth he got back up um they were on the cage and he wasn't really successful in getting the takedown and he he put his leg out there saying you go for it as soon as Lima is super predictable in the sense that he just immediately threw it Rory timed it very perfectly caught the leg and took transitioned that into a takedown beautifully 
and in that guard, he was actually able to land some nice elbows and strikes and actually bloody him up a little bit himself. That was the best part of his damage. And in the whole fight was in the fifth round. He was very successful in that. And that really um, that really did all the work that he needed. And that won him the fight right there. But again, Lima just too comfortable off his back, it seems. Too comfortable against the cage. Too comfortable, um, you know, just feeling the fight. He needs to press the action sometimes. Especially against an elite fighter like Roy McDonald. You cannot just let it go and say, okay... Wherever fight is, I'll adjust to it. You need to impose your will a little bit. You need to make Rory go back. You need to make him uncomfortable. You need to do things to threaten him. Other than that leg kick, let's say that leg kick doesn't actually do any damage to the calf. This would have been no contest, domination by Rory McDonald. Douglas Lima needs to figure out how he can better impose his will much earlier in these fights so that he can be much more successful and competitive. Again, he had opportunities in this fight. He just didn't get uh, through on them. But Rory showed a ton of grit and will. He is a fighter amongst all these fighters. I mean, he just shows incredible will. He's a guy who I think early on people may have questioned, you know, what, what's going to happen to him when he gets in a compromising position? He really tries to fight through that pain. He really has proven to us in those Robbie Lawler fights in this fight that you know, even with the worst injuries, he is willing and able to give it us all and to give every ounce of uh, energy, blood, determination that he has in his body. That is never going to be a question with Rory McDonald. I think that he um, was very impressive and showing a lot of grit in this fight. I think that people who saw him for the first time may say, oh, you know, he wasn't really that good. We'll wait till he's back with, you know, a normal leg. I think he's going to dominate in Bellator in the 170-pound division for a long time. And I'd definitely be interested in him fighting the Gegard Musasi. Should Gegard win the middleweight title, that would be a very intriguing fight. I think that I would love to see Rory uh, get that fight next if that fight um, comes together. Because uh, I do believe that he's going to be out for quite a while. And I'd like to see him fight out that Bellator contract and then go back to the UFC where he could theoretically be in his prime. Um, you know, let's say Rory gets back into the UFC even at 31 years old. He's That's still very young for a fighter. If he can take strategic amount of breaks, because I do believe he has had a lot of fight mileage on his um, so far in his fight career, if he's able to take breaks in between these fights, in between some of these tough contests, and really not take too many fights too quickly in comparison where he can actually let his body recover. I think that that is prime for him to come back to the UFC, for the UFC to pay him a lot of money, and for us to finally once and determine um, figure and figure out, is Rory McDonald the best welterweight in the world? Until he gets back there, I don't think we'll be able to have a real clear answer on that, but my belief is that we, he is the best welterweight in uh, all of mixed martial arts. Okay, so that's pretty much all I have for today. There's a um, a lot of news that have come out lately. Hopefully, I'll be able to get another podcast out there so that we can talk about all those things. Let me know what you thought about the three title fights and then the Chell Sonnen versus Rampage Jackson fight as well. I would say overall it was a fun night of, of fights just because there was two events going on. I didn't think either event was um, you know particular 
particularly um, particularly um, amazing. Now, maybe if I watched a whole Bellator card with Pico having an exciting finish and then Chandler having a, a win over uh, his opponent, maybe that would have been a pretty fun fight card. But none of the three title fights were really uh, super dramatic, in my opinion. So we didn't get any, like, classics or anything like that. But definitely uh, cleared up some of the... Um, you know, future for some of these guys has set up some really nice potential matchups in the future. And then, you know, for Rory, he finally gets over to hump, finally gets that belt um, under him for a major, a major uh, promotion. So that's a real uh, big step in the right direction for him and for Bellator. That's a huge win for Bellator. I think he's one of these guys. Sometimes you bring in the UFC guys and you want your guys to win. So you can prove we've got really good fighters here. But I think they brought Rory in for, for, for him to win and for them to be able to say we have the best 170-pounder in the world. So I think that they um, were successful in that aspect as well. For the UFC, you you may say that the night was a little bit lost with Ngannou um, having lost, and they put a lot behind him. But I truly believe that he's going to be a future champion should he train correctly and learn and you know, really work on his wrestling, his takedown defense, especially in his cardio. And I, it's a good sign that he was able to determine a lot of the things that went wrong right after the fight. He knows exactly what he needs to do to become a champion. It may not happen for another two or three years, but I do believe it'll happen. And um, I do believe that he'll have the ability to compete with the steep A at Cain Velasquez two or three years if he's able to really focus on the correct things. As well as steep A, man, in that press conference, he's getting better with these with the media. He's a little bit more feisty, a little bit more fierce, a little bit more fiery. He's got he's a little bit more noteworthy to watch when it comes to his interviews. I think that you can really do a lot with this guy. They need to promote him the right way. They need to really emphasize uh, what an incredible story he has. Being a fireman, still being from Ohio, just one of these blue collar guys. That's a story that really translates with a lot of Americans, especially at least. He got a real huge pop from the Boston crowd. I kind of was expecting that because, you know, they're not, they're not that far away from Cleveland, but it's another city that really holds in high regard those blue-collar uh, work like workmen-like people. And um, that's just the perception that Stipe gives off. But he's also ultra-confident in his skills right now. He's ultra-hungry still, even though he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. He still continues to feel disrespected. He still continues to feel like it's apparent to us that he it seems like he's feels some dissension between him and the UFC and Dana White and the disrespect that he's gotten from them or that he feels that he has gotten from them that's what it feels like in my opinion and because of that that makes him super scary he's the best heavyweight in the world right now and he's still he has no lack of motivation he's still got a lot of people to doubt him he still was the underdog in this fight going forward they need to capture that, and they need to really turn him into a star. They really need to have that Stipe Miocic versus Cain Velasquez fight. If they don't have it in Mexico, they need to have it in Cleveland, one of those two places, because the guys, either of those guys will turn out to become a real star should they win in their hometown. Um, I, and I think the way to go is have them fight in Cleveland. That would be an incredible atmosphere once again. All right, so until then, guys, let me know what y'all think. That's about the MMA on Twitter. Uh, let me know. Hit me up with some of the other things that um, I may have missed. There are the two fight cards that were pretty interesting. 
Uh, let me know what you think is next for them. Do you want to see Miocic versus Cormier next, or would you like them to uh, continue to conquer their own divisions? And um, as far as Rory, I would like to hear from y'all. What do y'all think? Is he the best welterweight in the world, or is the best welterweight in the UFC, Tom Woodley, uh, you know, or, or somewhere else in the world? All right, guys, until then, have a good one.